Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Excited for ladies night. You know, since COVID, we don't really get to have a ladies night. So I'm really, I'm like, where's the music? Hello, everyone, and welcome back for a brand new edition of Collider Ladies Night. I am very excited about this one. We have Dominique Fish back on the show. So I warned you, we go back to the very, very beginning on this show. And a little light Googling tells me that you were first interested in becoming an actor at age 10. So one, is that the case? And two, what happened at that age that really sparked that interest? Well, actually... When I was eight years old, the, a theater company came to my school. It was called Tada. It was a musical theater company for kids when I, uh, when I was like in second grade or something. And I remember like, I want to do that. So I auditioned three times from age like eight to like 10 and I never got in. The last year I got like a callback, but then I got so anxious during the callback that I, that I kind of messed up and I, and I didn't get in. Um, but at age 10 was like, I have to do this. I really want to do this. My mom was like, you know, Dom, you should try acting. You're so dramatic. I think you could really do it. And I, and um, so that's that's kind of how it sparked for me. And I would stay up really late, like to one o'clock in the morning. I would watch I Love Lucy. And my mom would be like, Dom, you're going to be tired for school in the morning. But I used to always just stay up to watch Lucy and be like, I, I could do that. I want to have a show like Lucy. You know, and um, so that's kind of how the how it's how it started for me. And I would watch shows like Sister Sister, and I would have a notebook, and I would write, if I was Tamara, I would do it like this, or if I was T, I would do that one like that. And I would just cut out pictures of people that I loved and put it in a book. And and uh, I even have some like I found a journal where I wrote like um, I watched the way that Jamie Foxx gives back to his family. I want to be like that, like, you know, and then I got to do Project Power. So, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So yes, age 10. Yes, that's where it started. <laughs> oh, I love the specificity you have there too. And I feel like this came up. So I've been eager to have you, not necessarily on this show because it didn't exist, but for a long form conversation since we first spoke for the hate you give. Because I remember the emphasis on vision boards and journaling oh, in yeah. general and just how directly tied that is for you and also the entire group we were with at the time for pursuing passion. They're phenomenal. I have so many up. What I'm realizing now, as I'm about to be 
30 in March, um, realizing that a lot of my vision boards are all career oriented and artist oriented. And I started learning about like, like while I was shooting Project Power in 2018, that, uh, that, I, like my artists and myself are different. I always thought that they were one and the same. And if I loved myself as an artist, it meant that I loved myself as a person. But I started to realize that that was not the case and that I had to learn how to how to bring them both up together at the same time. So as I'm re as it's the beginning of the year and I'm cutting out vision boards and I'm making little PDFs now, I'm getting a little bit more tech savvy with it. I'm like, I'm going to make sure that I put a family on there because I want a family. Like, I'm trying to get, you know, married and stuff like that. So let me start um, expanding and uh, move a little bit away from all of the, like, the career-specific things and, and believe and have faith in God that everything that I manifested to this point, every seed that I planted will come to fruition. So I don't have to plant the same seeds anymore. I could plant new ones. I feel like I need to take everything you're saying and put it in my back pocket because I could use some of that right now. I want to come back to that too as we go through your filmography here. But first, I guess I might have gotten a sense of this already. When you first said to yourself, I want to grow up and become an actor, what specifically did you picture? Was it being on stage or screen? Was it focusing on a specific genre, following in the footsteps of an idol, you name it? Yeah, well, it definitely wasn't theater. I, even though I lived right across the bridge, I never understood, like I never was in, immersed in Broadway. I would see little commercials of like Lion King, but like never was like, oh, that's not, you know, I would think of acting as as TV, um, but I really didn't know how to get into it. Um, and so like when I was about like 12 and around 14, um, I was, I'm an epic romantic, you know? So I was watching Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet and being like, oh, I would be Juliet with somebody like Leo or like the Titanic. I was such a romantic. So all of the romance movies, the notebook, like how do I be like Allie? You know what I mean? Like I, that's what I was looking for. I was like, if I can't get the love in real life, I'm gonna buy gun, I'm gonna do it in movies. You know, and my job, I'm like at 12 being like, where's my special someone? Like, I don't know where that came from, so. <laughs> You're talking to someone who was thinking that kind of thing. And also, I swear, at 14, I might have turned to my mom and said, I'm too old to make it in entertainment. Now I'm aging out of the industry. And I was like 14 years old. I know. That was why it's like, I have to be a child star. I have to be a child star. I started Googling things like free acting programs for kids in New York City. It was a Shakespeare for teenagers. And then um, I auditioned with the only Shakespeare that I knew, which was Romeo and Juliet. Um, I did not get in. But they called me and said, well, we have a two week free art seminar where you can do writing, musical theater, acting. Do you want do you want to do this for free? And I was like, yes. So I did that for two weeks. And then this woman saw me and said, you know, you should audition for the MCC Youth Company. Um, and they were where kids all over New York City could write and perform their own stuff. Um, so I auditioned for the MCC Youth Company. Um, hadn't really had theater you know, training or writing my own stuff, but I really learned about finding my light. I learned about spoken word poetry. I've been writing little poems since I was 12 and my mom will always be like, Tom, like, how'd you think of that? How'd you come up with that? Um, but when I got to MCC and I saw all the poets like doing it on stage, I said, oh, spoken word, I, I wanna do that. And I saw my first one woman show with this company. I saw In the Heights for the first time, which then re-inspired me about Broadway and said, oh, there is space for me. You know, there's he's speaking a slang that kind of reminds me of some of nostalgia when I had a crush on a Puerto Rican boy that lived right next door to me. You know what I mean? And uh, when he used to like bust the fire hydrant open 
just so that I could like have fun or like he you know he was kind of mean and didn't want to accept that he liked me but he would do little things like like really bust the fire hydrant open so that we could play him you know Benny says that in one of the songs in in the heights and so I was like oh my god this is this is my life it feels so good it like burst my heart wide open and it, it got me back along the lines of of theater is that program and that kind of awareness of the opportunities that were open to you then what paved the way to choosing to get a BA in theater in uh, school? Absolutely, but also the idea of BA and BFA, like I didn't want to get a BFA because, because um, you know, I, was, I played basketball in high school, I played football, you know, I, I did a lot of things. I was uh, I was valedictorian and I was prom queen, right? <laughs> so I was really, I was really trying to, understand like all of the levels and layers that we have inside, right? I was really like, somebody tried to limit me and say, oh, you can't do theater and basketball, you have to choose. I was like, no, I don't, I can do it all. Why do I have to, why do I have to choose? So I really believe that all of these things I had inside. Um, and so when I, when I started leaving Brownsville to go to Manhattan to like learn about theater, um, it really opened my mind as, as a spoken word poet and a, a stage actor and it did influence me to go to um, Pace University. I feel like you should, I don't know, write a script for your own story. The idea of seeing a movie where someone can go on to become the valedictorian, the prom queen, a basketball player, and a football player. Like, I want to see that. <laughs> I was a football player in middle school. In high school, I was basketball and all of those things. And then I thought maybe prom queen was, queen was a fluke. And so when I got to Pace, I uh, ran for a homecoming queen and I won. So I was like, okay. We're doing something. We're we are getting somewhere, and I really love the um like the duality and the juxtapositions of like when you think of basketball player, you don't think of valedictorian. When you think of homecoming queen, you don't think of theater nerd, and like really kind of breaking apart those those social constructs and ideas was really exciting for me. You know, I didn't choose a sorority, um, but I would do spoken word all over, and they would know me, and so they'd be like, "Oh, Dom, do you want to do a poem at this event?" So I was doing a poem at many different sorority and fraternity events and really getting the getting the interest in all of the worlds. I was reading a little bit about Subverted and fresh out of college, getting your own off-Broadway show. It's just like, it's so ambitious, inspiring and impressive to me. But I, at that age, I would not have even known where to start to make something like that happen. So you're fresh out of school. What is kind of item number one on your to-do list that you have to check off in order to get the ball rolling on a project like that? It's kind of, is, is, um, kind of interesting because I, you know, a lot of times at Pace University, I was the only black person in my class and I was in a sociology class and this white boy said, if African-American males in low income communities dress normally, they wouldn't be stopped by the police. And I was like, that's not true. And I remember, um, kind of debating with him you know, and looking around and nobody could advocate with me. And uh, that that was frustrating, but I said, well, you know, I have the opportunity to do a thesis to graduate from school. I should take this time to make a one woman show. When am I ever gonna have like a free black box, a free theater, free lights and sound um, in the community that I have. So I'll use this opportunity to do it. And I remember thinking that and saying it to somebody. And before I even had an idea, I remember walking through the school and somebody was like, Dom, I hear you're doing a one-woman show. I know it's going to be amazing. And I was like, thanks. It was scary because I was like, how did the word get around? But I guess that's like alignment, you know? And uh, and then I did uh, my show. It sold out like within the six hours that it was like um, 
out it like sold out and they added performances in the back box of my school and then um after people saw it they were writing all on my facebook and this woman who had was running a festival um saw the comments and said do you want to do your show here so she didn't even read the script she didn't even see it she just saw all the comments and said do you want to do it for our women's center stage I said, yeah, I would love to. And so before I graduated by July, I knew that I was um, gonna be doing my woman's show. Um, and I knew too, like they say, when you're graduating from school with a, with a degree in acting, you don't really have much to show for it. Um, and so I was like, well, I'm gonna have something to show for it. But also at the same time, you know, in the midst of doing MCC and um, I got with this other organization that allowed us to travel all over the world and meet people like Nigel Barker, who took my photo. And I was like, so I'm like a top model. And I even, I am famous that he took my photo in like 2012. And I was, that was really special. And I met Kathy Najimy, um, you know, from Hocus Pocus and oh, Sister. I know that. <laughs> and yeah, and she said, she saw me and she said, oh, you need to be in everything, TV, film, theater, everything. And I was like, thank you. But um, I really didn't put so much pressure on it because we had come across a lot of like, famous people who said a lot of compliments, but nobody really acted on it. And she was like, do you want to do spoken word to my daughter's music for Joe's Pub? And then I got to do that for a Glamour Magazine event. And then she was like, we're going to be going to LA. Do you want to come to LA and do some pieces? And if you come to LA, if you make your way to LA, I will get you some meetings with, with some people, casting directors and like um, a commercial agent. And so I met, I got with a commercial agent. They were just in LA and they said, well, we don't, we can't really do much for you because you're in New York, but we can send you to, and they sent me to my first agent. So I got my first agency around like the same time with Kathy and Jeremy and with Subverted and all of those uh, type of things. One of the things that thrills me to know and when I have these conversations is just hearing about actors supporting actors or really any role in the film industry. Because I feel like, I don't know, the, the pressure is kind of unbearable at points. And unless you have someone to help you out sometimes, it's easy to get buried under it. So the fact that there's people, especially someone I admire like her supporting someone else super talented like that, it really warms my heart. Yeah, for sure. I remember it was like, actually, I had a rehearsal with her daughter like the day after. It was either the day of my college graduation or the day after. But I was like, I'm going to do this rehearsal. And I went down and we we're just rehearsing the song. And then her, her husband and her daughter, Samia, they come out with a cake. And so she's a jolly good fella and has a, like a candle on it to just celebrate my, my graduation. That was so sweet. I love that so, so much. We're going to talk more about people supporting people in this industry. But to creep into some of these first on-screen roles. So as someone who has a very hard time saying no to assignments and opportunities, I'm always curious to hear about the earliest days of booking roles, because on the one hand, when you're first starting out, you want as much experience as you can get. But on the other, right out the gate, you kind of want to be booking projects and roles that tell everybody around you what really speaks to you. So what was it like in those early days, finding the balance between the two? Yeah, I think it goes back to what I was saying about um, learning that your artist is different from your, your, your personhood. And I think I always knew that I was worthy as an artist. Like I knew that God had big plans for me. And I was, I used to say at 12, like God wouldn't make me this way if it wasn't supposed to happen. Like that would be too cruel. And I know from experience, I don't serve a cruel God. Like I used to say things like that. I don't know where it came from. I didn't really go to church very much. Like it was just something that that I feel fortunate that I innately felt. And so when it came to acting, I never really sold myself short. 
So even in the earlier times, if there was a role that didn't speak to me and I was like, I don't want to do that, you know, I, I pass. Like even early on, I would I would pass on on things. And, you know, so sometimes my my agent at the time who her uh, her name is Leslie, Leslie Zaslower, and she was an amazing um, teacher for me because she she knew all the intricate details about why if even if it's a small work, work role, quote unquote, small role, why to do it, you know, and um, I got to do like the affair and it was opposite Dominic West. And each time it was growing. And then I ended up doing Blue Bloods with Donnie Wahlberg and like, you know, and it was a whole episode kind of dedicated to the character. Um, but even before, it was kind of like before show me, it was the way it happened was my first thing that I auditioned with, with this agent with was show me a hero was the HBO show, the David Simon show. And then I didn't hear anything back for like two months. And I was like, I didn't get a call. I can't believe it. Then I got the call back. And so I booked the role, but before we even shot, I started booking those other things. So that was the one that was first. And then the, the next thing that I, I did after that was the affair with Dominic West, who I forgot to tell him that I was gonna be doing, work, working with his HBO family, cause you know, he did The Wire. So, so before I booked Show Me a Hero, but in between before filming, did Show Me a Hero, did The Affair, I mean, did The Affair, did The Americans and did Blue Bloods and then Show Me a Hero came out. And so the, the way in which the, the time and the divine timing of how it played out really show like a, a growth, huh. you know? That's so interesting. That's such a good opportunity to have too of, of all of those earliest TV projects. And actually maybe specifically if we narrow it down to the ones where you had one episode, what would you say left you with, it sounds like they're all of great value, but what would you say left you with the biggest takeaway that you find yourself referring back to often today? Um, I had so much fun with Donnie Warburg. I really did. Um, he was like, we'll take a selfie a day. So we, we did take a selfie a day. And I remember like, I went to sleep like in between setups and I had a nightmare. And I remember like, for whatever reason that day, people don't talk about how, how, uh, how much focus it is to hit your mark without, without looking down. And so that, for whatever reason that day, I was having a little bit of, of issues, but I remember Donnie being like, um, he, what he said, he said something like, you know, well, her acting is money and I'm at least pocket change. So we got this, you know what I mean? And I was just, I, I felt so um, comforted by him and his energy. Donnie, Method Man on the Deuce, like Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, they all had in common was like, they, they, um, they celebrated the people coming with them and they, and they, they, um, they uplift it. And cause it's really daunting. It can be, it can be really daunting. And like, to, to show faith in somebody or to give that kind of energy and that support and that kind of love is something that I take with me always and I always want to pay it forward. So when I see somebody newer that's like, you know, looking around, I'm like willing to help them like, oh yeah, do you need help with something? Like, yeah, I'm always trying to, cause I remember when I was, when I was afraid and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. You, you kind of read my mind. I'm jumping all around here because it's making me think of a future question that I wanted to ask about Project Power in particular, because I'm always fascinated to hear about what it's like being, you know, like a big A-list celebrity, the number one on the call sheet on a set. And not only what you can do, you know, being a lead in a film, but also what being number one on the call sheet means to setting the tone on set. And based on having watched a lot of your Project Power interviews and seeing some stuff you posted on Instagram, you only have the best to say about working with Jamie Foxx. So what did he do on that set in that respect that when you are number one on the call sheet, you're gonna do that for your cast and crew. 
he was never selfish with the praise. Always. He did it for Joe too. Like, you know, and we could think, oh, this person been doing something for so long. They don't need it. But anytime he was inclined, he was like lifting. He was always lifting. I remember even on, on tougher days, um, he always tried to make a joke. He always brought himself in that way. And so, you know, even if it was a hard day, he didn't, he didn't act out on people. He, you know, he was so level hand, level headed, so grounded, so supportive that that it's like, it's like, wow, I, I, I like, I can do that too. And it's more about like not trying to make jokes per se, because that's his thing. But what is my thing? What is the thing that I I could bring to a set every time I'm on it to kind of uplift? And I got to do, you know, before before Project Power, I got to do Night Comes On, and that was a that was the lead. That was my first feature and that was a lead role and so that was my first time being on set every single day and really knowing how important it was to set the the tone and 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 be kind of every time I'm on set no matter what set it is I always find myself hanging out with the crew I always go to video village and I watch my my cast I put the headphones on and I'm watching because it's nothing like watching actors in a raw state and seeing all the nuances because it's going to be cut and sliced but to see everything is like Oh, it's like gold you know I'm like I'm so excited and then I like during Project Power I would go sit with the grips and the electrics I would go sit with sound and really get to know everyone I remember um we were on a break and in the deuce and I was sitting with the cost the wardrobe and um somebody had come I guess she was coming to help for the day and she was just talking to me and she was like oh what what department are you in I was like oh I'm an actor she's like oh my god I'm so sorry I don't watch tv and I was like what no please She's like, I just didn't know, you know, but like, I'm ready to be with everybody, you know, ready to be with everybody. I'm always here to shout out Night Comes On too, because you might've worked with some very good people that I know on that one. I might've graduated from the same program as some of them. And Ooh. you got some of the best of the best on that. So. Absolutely, I had a great time, learned so much. So for the Deuce specifically, what was it like making the move from show me a hero to that as far as you having a significant role on the whole stretch of the show is is there anything about the deuce that challenged you in a way that you didn't expect even though you had had that prior experience i think it was just knowing one that i had like more say i remember doing show me a hero and we would film a scene and then paul haggis the director he would be like okay now now do what you want and i like or say what you want and i'd be like so, you know, I come from theater and I'm a writer as well. If I'm writing a play, like, you ain't, ain't going to change the words. And this is David Simon. Like, what am I going to say that's going to enhance it or something like that? Like, you know, so, but as I did the deuce and like, you know, David Simon, he offered me, he said, I wrote this role with you in mind, you know, um, and it's not a role you take just to take it. So read the scripts and let me know. And if you don't want to do it, it's no harm, no foul. And so even having that energy brought to me by David Simon to know, like, of course, I want to work with him. If I'm nervous about doing this particular show and I don't want to do it, it's not going to cost me a relationship with him. It's no harm. It's no foul. So that was really great to like hear that from him. And it's knowing that I was going to be um, safe in kind of tackling this thing and that they didn't plan to make it gratuitous or, you know, you know, for, for the sake of the male gaze or anything like that. So that was also really helpful in making that transition. But I will say, I learned a lot from watching Maggie Gyllenhaal and watching Margarita Laviva because Margarita would be like, oh, um, you know, she has to be doing, she's a bartender. So I need, I need to like, how do, how do I, op-? or, or my, Maggie, when she's learning how to work with the film, she's like, can I learn how to work it for real? And they're like, oh, we won't be shooting that. She's like, no, but I still want to, she wants to learn the actions. They were all learning the actions and all giving it. So then I became a little bit more vocal. 
right? Like being like, oh, well, you know, can Darlene do this? And like, blah, 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 can we like, and I really started learning how to take up space on a set in that way. So that was really a great experience. And to know that like, you know, um, I had journaled as, as Billy and Show Me a Hero and I had told Nina Noble, the producer about it. And she had told, told David, I didn't know that David Simon knew about these journals, you know? And so to hear him kind of celebrate that even in moving into Darlene was just like, you know, amazing. I feel like I'm jumping all over the place and I'm ruining my roadmap, but I have to ask this because, so you mentioned that the part that you got in the deuce was written for you. Yeah. He said he wrote a role with me and mine. Yeah. How, how did that wind up comparing to joining the cast of Judas and the Black Messiah where Shaka had you in mind for the role of Deborah? Is it, is it a different feeling when you're starting a project, when you know that the role was meant for you in that way? The blessing is that I didn't feel any pressure for that kind of thing. Like I knew that I had been working, you know, so long and so hard that uh, when I was in school and it was time to like get an agent, I would be like, you know what, I'm just gonna focus on the craft because I love Meryl Streep, right? She transforms in every single thing that she does. And I used to be like, even if somebody doesn't like the particular movie that she does, they can't say she can't act. You will never be able to say that. And so I wanna be like that, right? So I'm thinking about that in terms of how to, the craft. And so if David Simon, who's worked with so many greats, sees this in me and says, this is for you if you want it. Why would I question myself? You know what I mean? I'm not gonna second guess what I'm doing. I'm just gonna continue to do. If I, if I get a little self-conscious, what can I do? I can go back to the drawing board, journal as my characters because that's what got me here. Put, put summarize each scene because that's what got me here. Put a song to each scene because that's what got me here. As long as I stay true to the work of it, then I don't have to so much be afraid of, of living up to the occasion or or a perception that I've probably put on somebody else about me that they're probably not even thinking of. You know, and so when Shaka came to me about that, I was definitely floored by that one. It was so, already so many greats attached. Daniel Kaluuya was attached to it, Lakeith. Freaking Ryan Coogler was producing it, Charles King. I'm like, and, and, and he wants to get Jesse Plemons and he's saying, this is for you? This is, it, this is for you? I was like, oh, like, oh my God. So I wasn't so much nervous. I was just more honored and like, I felt seen sometimes, you know, we're doing work for so long and you could be looked over for a certain role or be like, why I don't understand I'm working so hard. I'm showing this aspect of me. I'm showing this thing. I'm really trying, I'm trying to do something different. Is anybody seeing this? And to know that somebody was seeing me and that he had seen me and showed me a hero. So he knew about me for a long time. Man, I, I love just like your outlook and your approach to everything. S speaking of, like, it sounds like there's great specificity in your approach to jumping into every single character. And I like what, I, what I'm hearing right now about like the journaling and all that. Is there any constant, like something that you have to do for every single character or does that process change from project to project? Well, I started out being like this. I have to do this to know that I didn't, to know that I'm doing the, all the work that I can. But with Project Power, it was different because scenes were changing like the day of and we were shooting every day and everything was moving so fast and so sometimes I had to memorize things over like on the spot or right before we did it and that was really different so I didn't get to journal as as Robin um which I was like damn she's a writer you know what I mean I didn't get to journal as her so much um I didn't get to put music to this to the songs and she's a musician I mean to the scenes but um I remember talking to Jamie about that and being being like uh, and talking to Joseph Gore Levitt about the idea of coasting, 
And I just wanted to make sure, how do you make sure you're not coasting? I don't want to wake up a month from now or three months from now and see the movie and feel like, oh, that day I didn't give my all. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to make sure, so how do I make sure I'm not coasting? And I asked Jamie if it's, if it ever feels just easy. Cause you know, um, it was feel, I'm not going to lie. It was feeling a little bit easy. Um, not in terms of like the circumstances was hard, the, the, um, the, the hours, the weather, all of those type of things, but tapping into Robin didn't feel like such a, like a soul, like a soul turning event. And I remember asking Jamie and he said, do you watch basketball? And I said, yeah, sometimes he says when Steph Curry runs down a court and he shoots a three and it goes in, he doesn't question himself as to why it went in. It's because he's been practicing. He's been doing it for so long and he, um, it's in him just like it's in you. Like you've been doing it so long and, and you have it. And so you don't have to worry about that. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, I blew it off my shoulders. And with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he was like, the fact that you're even asking about coasting, I don't think anybody who coasts would even be aware, like aware to ask that question. And so I don't think you could ever do that. You know what I mean? And I was like, okay, cool. Because I was like, I'm not, I'm not writing everything out. I'm not doing this whole ordeal about it. Um, and I just wanted to make sure I wasn't throwing away an opportunity that was using every moment. That speaks to me too much. I feel like whenever I jump into an interview, if I don't have like three pages of questions, I'm like, did I not prepare enough for this? And then, then I'm kicking myself after. What is your sign? Uh, I am uh, on the cusp of Scorpio and Sagittarius. Okay. Do you know like your moon and all that? I do. No? Okay. I feel like my, like one of my co-hosts on another show is going to get mad at me. She's very into all that. And she's always trying to, to keep me informed and I'm not the best with it. The moon is all about, it governs your emotions and how you, how you um, compute information, how you compute it and how you put it back out. And the fact that you're like, you know, I have to make sure I do all this future, ask all these questions. I feel like maybe you have a Gemini moon like me, but we'll see. You know, the you first thing I'm going to do after this is go look that up. You have to let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely will. All right. Jumping into Judas and the Black Messiah, full force now. Yes. I have a feeling you're getting asked this a lot, but I have to ask it. Did you get to meet the real Deborah Johnson? And what would you say is the biggest difference between your goals for portraying her before meeting her and after? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, I didn't get that question. I got meeting her, but not that one. So um, yeah, we did get to meet her. Her name is now Akua Ninjeri. So we call her Mama Akua. That was one of the first questions that I asked Shaka is the family involved because I knew that she was still alive and I didn't, I want to do anything that was hurtful or detrimental to the legacy of the Black Panther Party. Um, and so I, so he was like, you know, we're, we're working, we're working on that and we plan to meet them. So after I got on, Daniel and I, um, Shaka and a bunch of other people, we went to Chicago and we sat in a house that, that Chairman Fred um, Sr. grew up in. Um, and we had we had to talk about everything. It was like a seven hour talk around the table where Chairman Fred Jr. asked us all to go around the table and say why each and every single one of us wanted to do this movie. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm nervous. Danny went first and he was so phenomenal. And then it came to me. He was like, all right, I'm going to come back to you. Now you and I was like, well, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm not going to lie. Um, and uh, get into and then Mama Cool wanted to speak to Daniel and I separately to access like how we plan to approach this world. And I kind of said like, you know, Chairman Fred Jr. was kind of sizing Daniel up and uh, Mama Cool was definitely sizing me up. She was giving me a lot of side eye. And uh, I remember I said something and she was like, you know, about being a vessel and just wanting spirit to like travel like, through me or whatever cases. She was like, what if my spirit don't mess with your spirit? I was like, mm. well, I was like, well, you know, I went to school. Here we go again. All right, gotta 
yeah um I went to school for acting and so the a way that I approach is still gonna I still think about how the character is different from the beginning to the end I'm still going beat by beat I still do that actor work but it comes to a point where you just have to play and let energy flow through you and so I really I kind of like I didn't cower away from her I kind of said no I understand what you're saying but this is also how I feel and I and I know that I it kind of garnered respect from from her because she's like you know I can't have no no punkness playing me that's how she felt you know what I mean and so and I'm from Brooklyn so I got a little you know I'm respectful and I but I also know like you know I kind of felt my grandmother energy through her you know what I mean and so I understood what was happening and so I didn't get defensive I understood you know it's her life it's her legacy it's her love you know what I mean so yes of course ask me all you have to ask me and give me a hard time if you must but I'm still here and I'm willing and I can take it if that's what, you know, and it was only a little bit. It wasn't even that it was really bad. And I gave her a hug at the end and I said, you know, I hope you know my heart. And she says, I do. I just had to give you a little bit of a hard time, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so, um, but one of the things that she really talked about was that um, they were very disciplined and she, there was a lot of things that she would not talk back to Chairman Fred about. And I couldn't understand that, but I understood that, that um or rather you know there's some things that i might say in the movie that she's like i would never talk to him like that because she said that but i think it's important that it is said in the movie or we think collectively that it's important as the representation of like one of the only women in the film that is important for certain things to be said i said okay but how can i do it in a way that shows that level of vulnerability and discipline and respect really so i don't have to be like why you shouldn't talk to people like that i could say well maybe next time you know, maybe next time you won't you won't do it so much like that. And you know what I'm like, there's a there's a way to get into it where I can say what I mean and not not disrespect his his um his position because they cared about positions. Chairman wasn't just a word. It was a ranking, a hierarchy, and it was important. And so making sure that I understood that and how I delivered every line and how I approached even the love scene like the love scenes, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's gonna be tentative because he is the chairman, right? But like there there is love there is revolution and there is love and you know there are emotions and there are feelings and there are attractions and so do you deny yourself attraction and love because you're a revolutionary no i don't think that that like in fact that was all chairman fred was about was love love of the people love love of 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 right and of so why wouldn't he have love in that other aspect of his life if we attract what we put out right and he is all love then then it's beautiful that in his short life in his short time that that they got to experience such a transformative love. And I know it was transformative because it changed my life. You know, it made me look at love differently, understand unconditional love differently, understand trust and how I wasn't trusting people. You know, I, I thought I was, but I was, I was very rigid on love. If somebody did this, this and this, and it hurt me, that means they don't love me. Right. Like you can't love me if you do that. But I'm, but I learned that I'm not the authority on love and we only have the capacity to love for which we have the capacity right we all come to to earth to learn different things you know and so i can understand and say okay well if they if i cannot say this person doesn't love me because they do the x y and z i can say well because they did this maybe you do love me but that love doesn't feel right to me it doesn't make me feel good so i can remove myself and it's all about taking responsibility so i you know i i learned a great deal and i'll never be the same and i and i feel like the woman that I become, the woman that I am now, will be because I got the opportunity to embody this this person, this experience.
not to turn this into a review, but so much of what you just described, I think is is a big part of the reason why you stand out in every single scene you're in. I feel like what you're describing right now, whether you have speaking lines in a scene or not, I could see the wheels turning and representing that. And that's, it's just something else. And I feel like there's no easy answer to this next question, but it kind of does connect to that. So I think that the stakes and what Fred Hampton's life means on a wide scale is on display big time in the movie. But one of the things that kind of rests on your shoulders and your shoulders alone in a sense is the importance of his life on a personal and individual level. So I I guess, what is it like going into every single scene knowing that you also have to be thinking about that big picture, but that the individual element of the movie is coming through you? Yeah, Day and I spoke about that a lot, like these private moments that they have to to be able to humanize, right? Um, but even still, like I I read um, when I was in school, I read Michael actually after school, but I read Michael Caine's book Acting in TV and Film, and he talked about what you give your eyes to is what the audience is gonna gravitate towards. What we look at is very important. Okay, what we look at is very important. How we look at something is very important. So even at the at the most minimal scale, like she knows her time is limited. Instinctively, she knows her time is limited with him. She's gonna try to soak him in all every chance that she gets, right? Like, so yeah, she's gonna be watching him, right? She's gonna be looking at him, and that's important how she looks at him, you know, because we are, you know, he was the black messiah for so many people. How do I support that in every move that I make? smallest level looking at him when do I look at him why and then you know I made poems for every scene when they kiss you know when they when they first see each other and uh really built that world I put a lot of songs to the scenes um I did a lot of Nina Simone one of the songs is called do what you gotta do and there's a line that she's I mean the whole song is actually perfect but there's one line where she says come back and see me when you can and although this may mean I'll never kiss your sweet lips again pay that no mind. Like, I understand what I did in loving you. I, I made the choice. So even if it hurts me, I made this choice. And I remember being like, well, this is the theme song of, of their love. And having that connect to everything, I read some links in Hughes po- poetry. And one of the poems, I just thought about the idea of Chairman Fred being the dream. You know, and I, and I said in the beginning, she's walking into this, this, uh, this Black Panther Party meeting and she's looking for purpose because something feels misaligned, you know? And, and I wrote in the journal, how come some people get to know their purpose and others don't? And how is that fair? So I'm hoping that when I go and hear Chairman and Fred speak, maybe I'll, maybe I'll start to know and get a bit of that purpose. So when I walk into this, this is playing in my mind. Is he, I'm hopeful. Is he gonna say something that sparks something in me that carries on that I could find purpose and, you know, making, if Chairman Fred is the dream and now she's he's a part of her dream, but sometimes when we have dreams that are so big, we're afraid to give them to people for fear that they'll squash them or they won't know how to, they'll mishandle them. But she was so aware that, you know, he's a dream so big that he's not just hers alone. So in terms of that, he is a dream. He is her love. He is the father of her child. He is her husband. He is her comrade. He is her friend. How do I, how do I celebrate that in every single moment? that I have to to be in connection with Daniel on the screen. You do that 
you do that big time here. I'm ser- I, I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you right now. I was blown away by your work in this. I did have one specific scene question for you. And I want to give our audience a spoiler warning here because I really don't want to ruin the impact of the visual choice made in this particular moment. So mm-hmm. now that that's out of the way, I did want to ask you about your last frame of the movie. And I mean, I don't even know where to start with asking about that. So much is on your shoulders in that moment. How do you even prepare for something like that? What kind of conversations do you have to have with Chaka in order to just feel supported in a moment like that? Well, we, we, I think instinctively, spiritually, we all knew that, that this was, this was taxing on the soul. It wasn't something that was just, oh, we're actors, we're just gonna do. We all, I think even going around the table from the very beginning with the, with the, with the Hampton family, it's like, like uh, we got to know everybody's heart and everybody's truths from the very beginning why we each wanted to do it. So we knew it was bigger than just us wanting to act. So now if we knew that we were giving our souls to this, if, if I know that Daniel's giving his soul to this and he knows that I'm giving my soul to this, how do we show up for each other in that way? How do we lend ourselves in the best way possible to each other? And I think, you know, in the cast, we, you know, we went bowling, we went roller skating, we found moments to really share time and space with each other. I remember there was one day where we weren't even on set. It was Daniel, myself and Lakeith, and um, I believe like Ian and Caleb, we were all not filming that day, but Algie was on set, Shaka, everybody else. And we was like, um, I think Lakeith or Daniel was like, you wanna go to set? So we drove to set. And I remember Shaka kind of got emotional about that because actors don't do that. We're, there's so much. We could be resting. We could be preparing for the next day, but we just always gravitated and was around each other. And I think that's like the spirit of, of Chairman Fred and his Black Panther Party that he was able to create in the Illinois chapter, right? And so um, we definitely held space for each other. The day before, we actually filmed on the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Fred Hampton. And so that of Chairman Fred. And, um, and that was, that was something in itself. It was, we didn't even have to have words. It was spiritual, you know? Um, It was actually the day that O'Neill actually does his Judas-like thing, gesture, was the day that we filmed that actual scene. So that was definitely intense. And then the, the night before, I remember being in my hotel room and like, I was so emotional and I didn't understand why my, my body uh, was reacting the way that it was. It was in knots. My heart was pounding. So I had, my throat was tight. I felt like I wanted to cry and I didn't know why. And I kept saying, Dane's going to be okay. Dane's going to be okay. Like, And I realized that my body did not know how to separate. And um, which is a, is a big, it's a small price to pay, pay in order to, to give your all to a role, which is what I asked for from the very beginning. How do I get to the point where I could love somebody so much that the sacrificial gesture she does in the end is believable? How do I get to that point? Just opening my spirit. How do I love in that way? Watching Danny take up space, watching Danny have dimples, like watching how he moves. And I'm really internalizing every single thing. So by the end, we were coming to the end of the film. We were coming to the end of the life of Chairman Fred and the end of the love that him and Deborah Johnson got to share together. And so I had to lose it too. You know, and even though Daniel and I and my cast and I will love each other for, for the rest of our lives and beyond, like we're, we were only, we were only fortunate to get a little bit of, t- a little bit of time inhabiting that kind of love. Cause that love is transformative. That love is uncon- unconditional at the core. 
you know, true definition of unconditional love was there. And, uh, you know, and so to get a little taste, to be able to experience that, I had to love and then lose. And so I had to let myself cry in that, um, in that hotel room the day before and was very quiet that other day and, you know, having to be on top of him while everything was happening. That was also intense because we had the bullets, we had the, you know, seeing the bloody, the other room and seeing my friends, my castmates, my family now uh, be shot up. Like, you know what I mean? Like that is, it's traumatic, you know? And, and I had, um, I had actually in my personal life had seen something like that happen, you know? So the sound of gunshots is not foreign to me. It's somewhere deep in my psyche and my, my spirit. And so to be there and hear those things was actually traumatic again. Like it was so many levels. And I remember Mama Kua just saying she did not cry. She did not cry. When they assassinated him in cold blood, she did not cry. And I think underneath that was was the power of like, I'm not gonna give them satisfaction. She said that they were laughing. They were carrying his body out and chanting, Chairman, Chairman Fred is dead. Chairman Fred is dead. So they were happy and they were singing about that. So for her, no, I am not gonna cry. I will not give them the satisfaction. That was very important. And then also, I mean, even for me, I had to wrap my head around getting off of him. You know, how, if he, 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 he's been drugged, he's still alive, but he cannot wake up. Do I move my body off of his? If I don't move my body off of his, they're going to kill me. And essentially they're going to kill his baby. If chairman is all about the people, is the party about me or is it about the people? Then I know it's about the people and that includes his son. So that was the only way that I could wrap my head around getting off of his body is because he would have said, this is about the people and his people includes his son. I have to surrender. I have to live so that his legacy can live so that this being inside can live, you know? And uh, yeah, so that it, was, it was a lot, it was a lot going on. It, it was a lot, but again, I just like commend the whole team on how incredibly powerful that that sequence was. I mean, it doesn't even feel enough to say it, but I lost like I lost sleep over it. Like I just I couldn't stop thinking about it. And the fact that it's just like radiating through the rest of my life now where I can't get some of these visuals and ideas out of my head. I mean, that that's why we need we need you to tell these stories and make sure they feel they feel present and actionable right now. And I think you guys achieve that big time here. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was so, it was so much stuff going into like, even, even the fact of like going, stepping into the bedroom that they shared together. And I, I instinctively will cry and I didn't understand why. And I would step out the room and be like, Dom, no, don't cry. Like telling myself as an actor, don't cry. And as soon as I step in the room, it's like, so I, I, at one point I had to say, you know what? My body wants to do this. This is in my DNA. Something is asking to weep out of me. And even as much as I try to fight it, it's crawling out of me. And therefore I have to just let it be, right? There was just so many, so many other like things in place, so much spirit, so much of God, so much of the family, so much of the legacy. There's so many things into play that we know that we can't even take responsibility for it, that it was bigger than us and it was bigger than... It was, it was just the openness that we were able to have and say, listen, I just want to be a vessel. Whatever story, whatever needs to come through, please. And like remove ourselves as actors from it, you know? I'm looking at the time. I've already kept you too long. I could talk, I seriously could talk about 
this movie and just like your work in it and your work beyond it forever and ever. We do always end ladies night with a couple of random questions. And by random, I mean, whatever comes to my mind on the spot here. So before we let you go, let's go with, do you have any pets? Uh, I have a cat, his name is Klaus. I named him Klaus after the Vampire Diaries because I am such a fan of the Vampire Diaries. I'm a romantic, you know, I'm team Delana, obviously, but I loved Klaus and Caroline, wish they would have ended up together, you know, but um, I, I was like, I need to name my cat something. So his name is Niklaus, but we call him Klaus. He's oh. at my, uh, unfortunately he's at my mom's house because I lived at my mom's house um, before I moved to where I live now. And he's so used to the amount of space. And my little sister is um, fifth is gonna be fifteen. My sister's fourteen, and so like even when we were going to school and we were out of the pandemic, you know, my mom would come home from work, my sister would come home from school, and it would be a regular routine. And I didn't want to leave him to like the sporadic whims of like me being an artist and him being alone. So he's at my mom's house, but he's still my baby and I love him so much. I very much understand that. I feel like after we're out of lockdown and out and about again. My poor cat's not going to be able to handle it. They're on top of each other 24-7 now. Yeah, they're going to be like, this is going to be too much. And I also, like, growing up, I had dogs. I love Rottweilers. Um, I want to get someone. I finally get my place in a backyard. I had a a Rottweiler named Bam Bam and a Rottweiler named Bandit. And I miss Bandit. I miss him every day. (laughs) I'm a big pet fan, so I love this. The big dogs, too. I want to just hug them and, like, just... You know, my dad had Rottweilers too. And so when he used to pick me up from daycare, he would put me on the back of his Rottweiler and I used to go right through East New York on the back of a Rottweiler. <laughs> I've never lived a day of my life without a dog in the family. So I feel we've never had a Rottweiler before. And I feel like we, we might be adding more to the family soon. So I might have to recommend that. I want to get a horse and I want to name him Shakespeare. You know, like, like, I think it's a perfect name for a horse, right? Shakespeare. I could see that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just imagining I have to put that in my <laughs> we got a turtle and we named him Hamilton. Oh, nice. I, I just feel like that turtle was Hamilton and I just had to name him that. <laughs> All right, let's go into the food category. If you could only eat one meal over and over for the rest of your life, what are you picking? Oh my God, I have such a hard time. I'm pescatarian now. Ah. Oh my God, for the rest of my life though? I mean, I guess I have to be a veggie burger. Reggie burger and fries because I love Reggie burgers. I don't know. All right. I get tired of it, but I, I love it. Cause then I could say my mom's like veggie lasagna. I miss that. I missed her. I miss her regular lasagna too. Cause I don't eat meat anymore, but like cheese every day. I can't do it. So. I feel like that's a solid choice though. I'm, okay. I'm always down for a good veggie burger. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you two more here first. Okay. What is your newest hobby? Hmm. Well, I'll give you a little uh, spoiler. So my birthday is March 22nd. And um, I've always wanted to make music. Um, And ever since Project Power, I cannot do a a live on Instagram without somebody asking me to rap or to do some poetry. And so I've picked up the habit of of playing an instrument and doing some music together. So that's, that's, that's happening. Ooh, I like that tease. All right. <laughs> Last one here. We always we always end on this one. It's a bit of a heavy one. You could take it in a lighter direction if you prefer. But what is the biggest fear that you've ever had that you've actually managed to overcome? Oh my God, dying alone. Nobody loving me and me dying alone. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't like, honestly, that, like, that was a really deep fear of mine. I don't know if it's from past lives 
I don't know if it's from some kind of thing that I internalized. I don't know where where it stemmed from, but that was that was a, a fear of mine. And now since I mean right before Project Power came out, I started meditating every single day. You know, I'll wake up with a knot or I'd be triggered by something and I would just journal about it, then I would meditate and then I would journal again and start finding out the truths, you know. Like I would start with before I meditated and get all of like the gunk out and all of the fears. After I meditate, it would get me back to some kind of truth that I would journal about. And I started uncovering my triggers and my my false perceptions and doing, I guess, shadow work is what they call it. And um, yeah, and, and learning where those fears come from. And so I think um, I think I've overcome it by the fact that like, like I said earlier, if if like attract likes and if the, there's the law of attraction and I keep putting out love. You know, whether even if it's in my art, you know, I, like I said, I'm always a romantic. I'm always trying to do some kind of romantic, romantic gesture. Then, then there's no, there's no way, there's no way that I can be alone. You know what I mean? So, just got to keep that positive mindset. <laughs> Yet again, I like your your outlook on things and how you approach it. All right, I have to really let you okay. go now. Thank you so much for your time today. For everybody out there, if you have not seen Judas and the Black Messiah. I, get on it. It is an absolute must watch and you could watch it on HBO Max on February 12th. Do not miss it and do check out all of Dominique's work. I feel like some of you know this already, but she's fantastic in everything. So give it a watch. Again, thank you and congratulations. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.